Welcome to the 12th Story, a book discussion podcast broadcast by Cincinnati's Mercantile Library, where readers gather to engage, connect, debate, and discuss. The Mercantile Library is 181 years old and is the literary center of Cincinnati. Throughout the year, the Mercantile Library hosts authors and speakers, book discussion groups, and other civic events. We are a working library with more than 90,000 books available to members. We're located at 414 Walnut Street in downtown Cincinnati and online at mercantilelibrary.com. And we always welcome new members and guests. Joining us today on the 12th story of the Mercantile are Michael Link, Public Relations and Events Manager at Joseph Beth. Hello. Also joining us, Abby Moran, a Mercantile Board Member. Hello. And Brendan Cull, another Mercantile Board Member. Hello. And I am John Faraday, Executive Director of the Mercantile Library. Today we are discussing City of Thieves by David Benioff. It is a, um, I can tell you where it's set. It's Leningrad, 1941. Um, it is a wartime book that has something to do with war and something to do with friendship and something to do with identity. Um, anyone else can jump in on that. And I will start by saying I loved this book. I thought it was really well written and well told with interesting characters. I agree. Just to give a brief um, story as to how I, how, I, how I came to it. David Benioff is now very well known being the executive co-executive producer and writer behind the Game of Thrones TV show. Um, he wrote this book in 2008. He had previously written, uh, the best known book was The 25th Hour, which Edward Norton had been in as a, as a picture. He was largely known as a screenwriter um, for like X-Men, Wolverine Origins, some kind of other movies that um, might be, at least for me, were forgettable. So I didn't know that. Um, and so Penguin, when they sent the, when this book was coming out, they sent me a hardcover copy. Usually we get advanced reading copies. They sent me a hardcover copy. I was about to pass it along and I noticed it was personalized to me. And this is the first and only time guilt has ever worked. I was like, oh man. All right, well at least give it a read. Personalized by the author? Yeah. And I couldn't put it down. Yeah. I, I picked it up and I couldn't put it down. And since then I've put this in I was uh, telling John earlier, um, we've, through the Joseph Beth in Cincinnati, sold over 500 copies of it. So note um, to aspiring authors out there, Michael Link's love language <laughs> is personalized. No, I, it'll never work again. <laughs> that is a lie. Worked, but it worked <laughs> once. It worked once because I was just like, ah. And it worked for so many of my contemporaries because there are so many other people who uh, run independent bookstores who love this book and picked it up for the same reason. So every time it's I'm in a new city, I try to go to their independent bookstore. And I can tell you, Tattered Cover, Powell's, anywhere you go, this book is on display. Yeah. Be and it, there's often like a little note below it that says, here's why we think this is a great book. It seems like it is a just a go-to if somebody says, I need a good book to read on Facebook, somebody is going to post about this book. And that's how I came across it, talking about how you came across and it. Is you know a friend of mine at work said, you got to read this book, you'll love it. And it was it was. I terrific. ran into three people at the store last night who were talking about it. And I was like, I'm doing a podcast for the Mercantile tomorrow. So check out the podcast. And they had somebody at work called Tim 
Um, and he had made everybody in his office read it, and they all love it. It's Many five of them, years it's old. It's a five-year-old book. I mean, this is favorite. not a, a current book. Right? It's, it's eight years old. But eight. Yeah, oh, yeah okay, 2008, well, yeah. yeah. But yeah, no, it's, I mean, but it, it still sells. It's still, yeah, exactly what you said. It's still front and center for so many people. And I always couch it as um, it's historical fiction for people who don't necessarily like historical fiction. Right. Like, it's a great historical fiction book, you know. Uh, I think it's tremendous. It's well, not. It's not historical fiction. Yeah, but <laughs> it, no, but it is. But it's like, oh, <laughs> uh, for well, right for people who are like, I read historical fiction. Uh, <laughs> you, 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 will, you will, you will, think that. But First of all, I want to send a shout out to Abby's husband if he's listening to this tonight. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he was very interested in discussing the nature of historical fiction at a book club session that we had about this book. He really wanted to bring it back to the discussion of the essence of historical fiction. I would. Not consider this historical fiction. I think that this <laughs> book hits so many genres. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you've got like the quest novel, classic quest the novel, quest coming is, of yes. age, the romance, the historical fiction, you know, or historical fiction near, whatever yeah. you want to call it. Who, who cares? Yeah. And it's a caper, it's a war story, it's a memoir. Mm-hmm. I just think it has a lot to offer for, for several different people. When you said that about all the independent bookstores, it made me think of something that I read about um, David Benioff preparing for this podcast. Um, Ann Patchett was one of his teachers. Mm. You know really? That? So maybe he learned That's a little bit about about the independent bookstore. Well, you hit... You, so her. you talked about all the all the no, genres that are in this book, and what's what's remarkable is it's a 250-page book. It's not a long book. No. It's an extremely fast read. Yeah, it's like a two-sitter. Well, you can tell he's a, a screenwriter. A two-sitter. That's exactly what I was going with that, <laughs> right. is that yeah. it, it is obvious that this guy writes for television or writes for movies because mm-hmm. the dialogue is crisp. It feels like it moves really fast. He doesn't dwell on things. And by the way, he could have very easily extended this novel by 400 pages and done more with what was going on in Leningrad at the time and really bogged it down. And he didn't. He just told a just a ripping good story. It was crisp. Crisp. But I would, have, I would have read another 200 well, pages, something I rarely I, say about a book. No, I, I, would, I would agree with that. If it, was as cri- if it was as crisp, right. but if he decided to, like, draw... I, I just thought, like, the, the, um, it was edited really well. Uh, it felt like it was just a great yarn. Well, and it made it a great book club book, that it, that it hits so many genres, and then it also is totally readable. I mean, there, nobody had any excuse to not read this book. You know, sometimes we have, like, a little bit of a longer book, and, right. ha- you know, a third of the group will come in and not have finished. And the discussion this time was so good because everyone had finished it. It's just, um, so if anyone out there is looking for a good recommendation for their book club, I would say this is just... This is fantastic. We had a fabulous discussion about it. And I think the, another thing that I was just thinking about right before the podcast um, is, and, and in rereading it, uh, just you know, in advance of this, is uh, what you said about the dialogue. I think can be said about all the writing mm-hmm. in it. There was I I was looking up a number of just quotes that people had pulled from the book. Um, online is their favorite stuff, and there's a lot of these really really good one line. Um, things and it's not dialogue or you know it might be internal monologue or place setting or whatever but they uh, they're not overwrought they I, I think his all of his writing is just very much um, it's very focused you can tell that he worked through who these people are and he and he didn't go too too much on any one thing you can say that you know there are a lot of people that they meet tangentially. Um, that 
are perfect for exactly where they are. They're perfect for the point in the story. They further, every line seems to lead to the next to further the story. And at 250 pages, there's no fluff. There's no throwaways. Right. right. It is just very, um, you know, as, we, as we've said many times, I think crisp is probably the best definition. And it's for so it. visual. I'm just picturing that scene. And just, you know, full warning, people, if you're listening to this, there are going to be spoilers. Um, so stop now if you want to read the book and you don't want to hear a spoiler. But that scene towards the end where um, Lev is playing chess with the Nazi officer, it's so visual. I felt like I could picture yes. that room, absolutely, and just his posture. And as he's reaching down for the knife and he's thinking about it, and he uh, and Kolya and Vika are down at the other end of the table and the old, propaganda, the old Russian propaganda, Soviet Rus- propaganda posters are still on the walls. It's just such a... It is such a cinematic um, novel. It's well, great. and you look at both of the the two main characters, um, Lev and Kolya. He doesn't. It's not like he spends a chapter describing them. No, you're he right. Gives you just and a right, handful exactly. of things, and then you immediately it's they're immediately in your head. Absolutely. I know exactly right. what they look at or what they look like, and then I look back and I'm like, it's almost like okay, Kolya. He's blonde, he's good-looking, he has sort of Cossack cheekbones, and he's wearing a great coat. Right. That's kind of it, but immediately, in the context of everything, you know exactly what everybody looks like. Yeah. And it's just, again, just very concise and... That's the t- don't you think that's the, t- the screenwriter in him? I mean, it's like you play, you're playing on some vi- some cues to the reader, so that the reader doesn't. You don't have to work really hard with this novel, too. I mean, I think that's another <laughs> that's another nice thing about that. There's plenty of novels that you have to read where you have to work at them. Yes. I mean, in a previous podcast that just that just got posted um, or that that was posted recently, we did City on Fire. That novel, I felt like you had to work a little bit more at. It's 900 pages long. There's a ton of characters. You had to like. You know, keep track of what was going on. They bounced you around back, and this is a pretty simple tale. Um, mm-hmm. And sometimes, that's just such a blessing mm-hmm. in in modern literature right now. Is you get a novel, you're going to be thoroughly entertained. You're going to have a great story. You learn something along the way, um, and you have these two very very memorable characters, and mm-hmm. that's um, that's a skill. And I it's not it's oh go ahead. Said, it's not fluff. I mean, it is it's really good. It's, he reminds me of, like, I kept thinking of Elmore Leonard. Um, like, he just gets right to it, and then you're, you're like, along for the ride. And I, you know, I, I, anytime I see a book that's described as, like, funny and sad, and I'm thinking, all right, well, it's going to be not that funny <laughs> or not that sad. <laughs> or uh, both. <laughs> <laughs> this one's really funny. Mm-hmm. Uh, parts of it are brilliantly funny, and parts of it are really sad. Yeah. So it's... Yeah. I, I can't speak highly enough of this book. And I think we, he really we, worked at it, though, too. Like, I, you know, I don't want to um, just chalk it up to his TV and movie experience. I read that he had the idea in 2000, and then he said he really got cracking on it. Um, he really got cracking on it for real in 2006, and then he rewrote the opening page at least a dozen times, just as an example. So I think he the, his, the marks of like his own really... Um, I don't know, kind of discriminating process or all over this book. As Michael said, like just one one word, one sentence leads to the next and and they're really I mean, obviously he had way more than this and cut out um the inessential bits. Yeah, I in so, rereading it, I think this is there were a couple of things that because it, it had been a while and I was honestly a little afraid. <laughs> 
because I have such, you know, like positive memory of it. Oh God, I'm really? Like, I love gonna, this. Am exactly. I going to, am I going to rip through, am I going to get through and it's, it's, it's not going to be as fast. It's not going to be. And I sat down and I found myself, and this is rare because I'm not a rereader, um, but I found myself ripping through, again, from the very first page, it just flowed immediately. Yep. And I'm like, oh, it's, it flows just as quick. And the next thing I know, I'm like, oh, I didn't even realize. I just read 60 pages and right. I haven't looked up. And again, especially with Koya, I'm like... I, I'm finding myself going through like how reliable is this is uh-huh. this character? I know I know the I know the book, uh-huh. and I'm still going through this thing where I'm like, I really like him. What what is what's going to happen with yeah. this? And I'm yeah, like, yeah. I know what's going to happen, but emotionally, yeah. I'm very vested in the story again. It, it, the the reread on this novel is extremely it was it's valuable. yeah it was so it was just as I remembered it, which. Yep. You know, thank goodness, because otherwise I would have a lot of people to apologize to. <laughs> so let's I'm talk. Can, can we talk about you. the? <clears throat> just for our listeners, let's talk about the quest a little bit. All right. And and what the kind of the the basic premise of the book is, that um, um, so Lev is uh, arrested. Uh, he's in Leningrad. Uh, he's I think basically orphaned in Leningrad, and he is uh, arrested as he is. Uh, basically, uh, taking items from a. Uh, German parachuter who has fallen into Leningrad dead. dead and so they go up and they yeah. take his knife and bourbon and some other things. And they're basically he, looking for food. Yeah. They're looking for food. And so he and his friends, they run from the police as they're about to get arrested. And only Lev gets arrested and he's thrown in a cell. And sometime in the night, he's, he's, uh, Kolya is also thrown into the same jail cell. And then the next morning, they go and they meet with this basically like a sheriff or a, a colonel. Mil- colonel military right. leader. They're going to execute Yeah, he's... Are, this, these are, these are, they've been, these are penalty of death charges that they have. And the, <clears throat> the general colonel what says... Of the KGB. Um, of, yeah, the NK, N- S- NKVB, is that right? Yeah, NBK. SV- anyway, he says... SVU. I will free you and give you your ration card if you go find a dozen eggs for my daughter's wedding, which is one week from tonight. And it's that simple of a quest which sends Kolya and Lev on this mission to go find a dozen eggs. And then the book basically flows from their, their quest to find these eggs. And, uh, it's a totally and some of the horrors they see, mission totally ridiculous the mission. There's no food. Right, no it's, food. It's, an no. Impo- it's, it's Leningrad ridiculous and during the siege. Because basically. you can't, there's, people are eating they're people. Eating, they're eating and they're the, eating people. The glue, the animal glue Correct. from books. Right, yeah. right. And, and humans. And can't, yeah. yes. Uh, there's, there's a there's a particularly gory scene in the novel, um, which at first I had actually forgotten about that scene on the reread, and when I got to it, it was uh-huh. like I had completely f- like blocked it. Um, it's a particularly gory and yeah. scary scene. There are two really but gory scenes. What's amazing book. about it and rereading because I remembered that scene happening and I remember it, and then when I read through it again, I'm like, that is quick. Yeah. He mm-hmm. he does he does one he plants one visual with you. Mm-hmm. You're right, and that's enough. And it registers it, the he, whole he siege of one gra- yeah. one one visual with you, and he repeats it that's one right. time. That's right, and it sets up the entire thing. Of in the context of them trying to find these eggs and how hard scrabble that must be. Um, honestly, walking into the mercantile today, I was looking around thinking, how many of these books could we make glue uh, candy out of? I think there's I think we could have a, a feast. Valid, I think it's a valid survival. Yes, uh, six. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, I um, am what is technically known as a scaredy cat when it comes to any books that contain like really brutal images of war. Yeah. And so I, uh, although this book had been highly, highly, highly recommended to me by my husband and my brother who've both read it multiple times and they consider it like a palate cleanser book for them like when they know that it's going to be like a reliably good reread and so when they've read something that feels like a lot of work or um, or maybe hasn't gone the way they wanted it to or they just need to like freshen it up, they'll reread this book. So it had been recommended but I hear siege, I hear bloody war, I hear starvation, I hear children uh, starving and I just think, oh gosh, you know, another day. I'm, you know, I'm gonna read something a little bit, a little bit more pleasant, like the Neapolitan novels of Elena Ferrante, which I'm obsessed with. But I did read this one huh. for this podcast and uh, and for my for our book club, and I I really loved it. And I think he does he hits just the right um, formula of sharing with you the the brutality in in a way that feels legitimate mm-hmm. um, and real and true, but he backs off of it. It's not gratuitous. It's not um, regular listeners of this podcast may remember um, the, how traumatized I was by the brief history of seven killings. I just can't handle that. That to me is too much. I, I just could not handle that. But this was so well done. I felt like he was really, he just did a beautiful job of showing... Um, showing what real everyday life was like for these people who are in this horrible um, situation, the siege, but also he would balance it and temper it with, you know, comedy and love and just adolescence. I mean, just some of the conversations between these two teenage boys is just awesome. I liked, from my scaredy cat, you know, perspective, I like the frame. I like knowing that Lev makes it out and that he's a grandfather retired in Florida and that he um, that he killed some Germans that week, and that he met his wife. I like knowing right out of the gate that this kid's this guy the kid is going to be okay. I know Brendan disagrees with me a I little bit about the utility of the friend. I did but disagree for, with that. For Scaredy Cat's listening, it really. I, I actually agree with you, uh, not not because of the fact that I I am I want to know it's a happy ending from the beginning. I just I was interested that he he basically said he took away that as the feeling um, something that as a reader you would find completion in at the end and he said I'm giving this to you first Mm -hmm. so I felt like it was interesting to read it um, as an exercise in uh, reverse engineering the narrative so you didn't have that at the end so when you got to the end um, there, there were different reveals so I was interested in watching that as a construction. Um, but I didn't, so I, I just found it to be um, unnecessary. I mean, I thought it was a, a great book and a great story. Um, I guess it, maybe it would have felt awkward to just jump right in to meet Lev, but um, it was so, there was so little of, of the frame, like at the beginning and the end. I mean, it was a total of three pages or something in the whole novel, four. Uh, that it felt kind of like it was, um, uh, it, it could have been a little bit more fleshed out, or there could have been a break in in between. Like if you think about that, 
you know, the movie The Princess Bride uses the same frame, right? Where there's uh, the introduction and the kids getting read the story. And there's like a couple points, I think, in the movie where they go back to it. Um, he doesn't do that at all. It's basically an entire story, and then there's these like two-page bookends on the end of the novel. And I just did. It was fine. It didn't like offend me. It didn't take away I, from the novel. Well, I just didn't think it was particularly. Well, I think useful. the t- the bookend at the end does go back to the beginning because you know it's it's the reveal of you know you know he meets that Lev meets his wife, and so when you're reading right, you through know, the book, yeah. you reading through the book, you're like, oh, oh, is it is it her? Oh no, okay, wait, who is it? Oh, okay. Here it is at the end, and it's just yeah. Sort but of then the, the other thing I, I didn't love like, that he doesn't no, take it was us like back he to kind of thousands at the end. I, I agree. Was, right. was, was I, I was, uh, I'm going to be Goldilocks on this one. I think he does just the right amount, like just yeah. the right amount of frame at the beginning, like just yeah. the three, the three, four, five pages. Yeah. So tight. But it's a I novel, it's, and he uses his own name, and he kind of clouds the world about whether or not it's his. Anyway, I just didn't, didn't feel a little. James, there was plenty of love in this novel. That was not the. Well, and that's what's funny that you bring that up because I was in in sort of preparing for this, I ran across uh, an interview he gave when the book was coming out. And when he, so he had written it, and it, it's pure fiction. So his grandparents, both sides of his family were born in the U.S. Yeah. You know, so it's, it's a novel. And he, he, the James Frey eruption happened in the process of it. Right. And so he said to his editor, he's like, oh, no. And they're like, you're fine. Just don't ever <laughs> say anything to kind of cloud it. You know, my grandpa Lev. <laughs> yeah, and and if you ever see James Frey, do not make eye contact. Yeah, and he basically was like, okay. He And then he promised his editor that uh, he would never send him anything that wasn't a complete work of fiction. So he clouded it in the book, but the, that was just funny that you brought up Frey because that sort of erupted at the same time. So Maybe that so, provided him some cover. I think, and you know what he's, I read that, I read some of the same thing. The, um, he ends that opening chapter with David, he said, you're a writer, make it up. Yeah, I, no, yeah. Which is like, kind of opens the door to, hey, this mm-hmm. is fiction. Don't forget, this right. is fiction. Did yeah. he or didn't he? I, um, I was, you know, I, I read this a couple, I read this a little bit more than a year ago um, and loved it. And it, the one, there's this long sequence at the end, which sounds awful, but um, one of the characters is terribly constipated. Which is a great part. Of it. Go on, it, please. Yeah. <laughs> and so <laughs> he cannot process his food out. Um, he finally does. And the second character, he, he's so it's like very typical. He really wants, um, he really wants Lev. Lev to see it, to yes. look at what I have produced. This is, this is 10 days of work here, and Lev won't. And then something terrible happens at the end, and like one of his immediate regrets is, oh, I should have looked. I, I should have. I, I, you've hit right on it. This is yeah. a running gag throughout the novel. Kolya cannot go to the bathroom. Right. He's counting the days. He says it's been he, 13 he, days he since I've had you nine days. Literally anybody who will stand still long enough to listen about this. A, yes. so a, 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 a vendor, I, his friends, <laughs> a former a, a girlfriend. I know guys who are my closest friends and we have conversations like that. This so is there such was, first a guy of all, conversation. This is such a yeah. guy conversation. It was terrific. The other thing it reminded me of is... Um, the movie Stand by Me. There's some, di- you know, the bu- there's there's kind of they're having conversations about 
you know, I don't, I don't remember if they're having it just about going to the bathroom, but it's just kids talking about stuff like yes. this and realizing that you can talk about something like this with someone else. I thought that was just a terrific part of the book. It was great. Yeah, yeah. And it stayed with me. I'm thinking, you know what? Someone tells me they've done something, if it's important to them. Yeah. Right. right. Damn it, I am going to take right. a Go minute look. and yes. I am <laughs> going to look. And yeah. I hope it's not that, but if it ever is, yeah. <laughs> you, you know what? My brother Paul comes to me and says, you've got to see, see this. this. Go look. Note to Paul. John's going to look at whatever you have to show him. <laughs> on that, like, I like a book that changes me a little bit, that makes me think, I'm uh, got, if someone's, preferably not this exact, but I'm going to, that stayed with me, and I have tried to look, to take the moment to be there with that person, <laughs> which I know is funny. That, and I know I'm like it's kind of like the jokes on me. But if if, if if something is important to someone, I will take a minute. And You're gonna walk in. behind the metaphorical tree and Absolutely. look at no. the metaphorical. Yes. I think that's great, and I because this is and this is an, a, an interesting <laughs> thing that spun me in a, in a in a, a direction as well because the other I and I'm the father of a, a six year old. And often they're like, come look. Right. And it reminded me, this conversation also reminded me that these are young people. Mm. Yeah. Lev is young. And he stayed behind in Leningrad when his mother and sister left. Is he 15? 15 in the novel? I think he's, yeah. Uh, He's, he's young. 17. He's young. 17, I think. Right. But he and, passes and, as a 15-year-old. But right. <laughs> and, and so it's like you think about that now and you're like, no, the parents, who would, would you leave your 17-year-old right. behind? No. If, but you, you, it reminds you that these are young people that are experiencing this. Um, and so some of it is like some of the horror of it. They can get past it because they have this youth mm -hmm. um, on some level. So it really, that conversation set in the context, I think, and a lot of their conversations of Kolya talking about, you know, women and sort of that bravado that is so much who he per pretends to be or who he is you know it's very much like at that stage where he is becoming you know um himself as a person but still has all these trappings of youth and i think that's what sets so much of what happens in this book um you know up I, I thought it was spectacular. Well, David Benning, Benioff has a background as a teacher of high school kids, too. And so I think he has oh, such sure. a great ear for that kind of swaggering, you know, buddy talk, too. I mean, all that we all know a Lev and we all know a Kolya. Yes. That, uh, yes. That's a great, great comment to make here because it was, I mean, I kept thinking about people I know who are like Kolya <laughs> and... Um, you treasure those relationships, but at times they can be really grating, right? Or mm -hmm. they can be, uh, grating may not even be the right word, but frustrating at times, or it's someone who's just very different from you. And frankly, you could be Kolya and know someone like Lev and have that person be, you know, it's frustrating. It's, you know, a bit of the odd couple. It's a bit of, um, but these two people would not be friends if they are not forced together on said quest. Um, and that's the beauty of this relationship. And that's the beauty of kind of a, uh, any sort of literary relationship like this, where you force two people together and, and make them find out that they can be friends. Um, and uh, I, I think Kolya was just such a, a 
great character. It made me appreciate the people I know who are like Kolya in my life. So what you're saying is you would also, at this point in time, go behind the tree? <laughs> would I go look? Yeah. For sure. Yeah. <laughs> For sure. Oh. Uh, <laughs> no question. Don't ask me to ever go behind the tree. <laughs> Please. I do not want to see it. Uh, this was one of those books that was book 13 days where everyone loved the book. <laughs> so let's talk about some other books that we're reading. Oh. Uh, <laughs> unless we have more we want to say about this book, which I think we all recommend without reservation. A hi highly cinematic page turner. Um, yeah, absolutely. I, I have yet to find someone who has, who has read it who has not liked it. So absolutely, I would recommend it. This was the first book I ever recommended to Brendan Cull. Nice. But I had already read it. <laughs> well, that <great>. was. <laughs> made it Thank you, Kolya. I, I may have. <laughs> I may have faked it, but I. I uh, you did fake it. I had read it. I read it five years ago. In your post. Five years ago, though. No, you wrote about it. Hence, and I was thrilled. I was like. I might have to go back and check the record on this. <laughs> However, uh, no, I did. So I read this uh, multiple years ago, and I had written about it on my blog. And um, I think it was, I went back and looked. I thought it was 2012. Maybe you reposted your blog, and, and you just said a friend recommended this, he, and it's terrific. Uh, that's right. And um, I did. I posted it on Facebook. Yes. So he, now that we've solved that mystery. Thank God. Uh, uh, this <laughs> is a compelling podcast. <laughs> it, I, it's, I call it a buddy novel. I loved it. It made me think of my, my uh, close friends in life and, and was very appreciative of those relationships and very appreciative of the, the banter that exists between us. And uh, so uh, that's why I, I liked it. I liked that um, this book was about the Eastern Front. I think a lot of movies and books that um, Americans consume tend to be about the Western Front and... Um, you know, we just are more aware of things that, you know, things were written in the English language from that time. And uh, so I really, I'm, I'm kind of embarrassed to admit that I didn't know very much about this siege. I had no idea that it lasted for 900 days, 900 odd days. And yeah. um, Beyond awful. I just, I'm really glad that I read it because it's a great, it was, it's a great read. And it reminds me why I love fiction. Um, but it also... Uh, taught me a lot about what was going on. And then um, my husband, who's a total history buff, and as I said, loves this loves this novel, was um, it just led to some interesting conversations between the two of us, and he was kind of explaining what happened you know, after this novel closes and taught me a little bit about how brutal the Russians were as they retreated back to, um, as they followed the, the German army back to Berlin. So um, I think that it's... Uh, it's both, you know, has that like enjoyable quality of great fiction, but it also is sort of humbling and informative. And this is you know, just not that long ago, so I think it, it gives me pause when I think about just the potential for human brutality and, um, you know, just it's a, ca a cautionary tale too about like the effects that political decisions have on the lives of everyday people. Yeah, let me. Uh, I I want to jump off on that one po one point about the fact that when I read this, I didn't know about the Siege of Leningrad. So I had no, f I, I wasn't sure what I was reading about, frankly. Mm -hmm. uh, I heard a, a gentleman in Cincinnati who had written a paper about the Siege of Leningrad. Um, 
that was terrific, and it, and and it it was also about the fact that at the same time that this was happening, Shostakovich was writing his symphony, which is mentioned in the book, and and um, it's a f- a famous symphony that is basically uh, it was written during the siege of Leningrad, and it is a piece of music that had inspired an entire region full of people to. Uh, recognize that they deep within could still withstand what had been going on for 900 days in the siege of Leningrad. And since then, I've heard that piece played live, and I've learned more about it, and there's a book out, you were asking about recommendations, that I just got that's called um, Leningrad Siege and Symphony, and it is an entire book about the fact of what was going on during the siege and about Shostakovich's process in writing um, this masterpiece symphony, which is incredible. Um, so I like the fact that a, a novel can do that mm-hmm. for you, is that can inspire you to go then read nonfiction about a particular uh, place and time. And, I, um, and then being able to reread it again, having some additional knowledge about that time, made, made the novel even brighter for me. It was like a, I had you know, a, a, a new sensory experience reading the novel, and I thought that was really spectacular. I've had a similar experience with uh, Carlos Ruiz Zafon's Shadow of the Wind, where I read that, then learned more about Barcelona and, um, you know, that time period, and went back into it and just found it even more stunning. Right. That so, book is incredible. It's a great book. It's a spectacular book. And, and um, just astounding. And a, and a translation. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I think that's a, a, a great point. Yeah. So what are we reading? What are you reading right now that you're liking? I'm reading two books right now that I'm, one I'm loving and one I'm really trying to like. I'm reading The Wind-Up Girl. Oh, huh. Which is it, like punk. Yeah, steampunk. Ste- it's um, award-winning. It's it's award winning. Like Time Magazine called it one of the ten best books of the year. It came out, which was a couple years ago, and it is a uh, it is a slog. I'm hoping that like I'm I'm going through this really dense setup that I had that is about to become a terrific book. Um, and the other one is I'm embarrassed I've never read this before. The Curious Incident of the Dog in the Nighttime, which is miraculously good. The writing on that is incredible. Great. Oh, I've seen that book a bunch, but I don't know. That. Yeah, that was, um, and they've done, uh, what, there was, I think it even, uh, TV show Broadway or Off-Broadway. Broadway. Broadway. Mm-hmm. It was a play of it, too. I don't know anything about the, I've heard the play, great. but yeah. Um, basically, My. I'm uh, uh, I'm reading this book now um, that comes out in April. I hate and, you know, Every time I'm on a podcast you, with you, you No, but listen, the, and I'll, tell you like, I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what. I read a book that I've been to the new. No, I've been to the new restaurant that hasn't opened yet. No, but here's why. So <laughs> I'm the chef. He, the author, uh, uh, Manuel the Gonzalez. Author? Say that again, I'm sorry. Manuel Gonzalez is, um, he wrote a book called The Miniature Wife, and this new one is called The Regional Offices Under Attack. And he is now a uh, permanent resident of Lexington, Kentucky, and teaches creative writing at UK. So he is here. He's around. He is a member of our greater tri-state community. And um, he will be, he'll be at... um, Cincinnati, USA, as we like to call it. Yes, exactly. (laughs) So he will be around. Um, 
Is he and coming to Joseph Beth? He will be coming to, to Joseph Beth in May. Uh, I imagine he'll be at Books by the Banks. I imagine at is some point he will be like at the, the Mercantile. Absolutely. Um, he will be around. Uh, and so uh, I think it's it's great. It's basically a... Um, uh, the uh, there's all these you know sort of forces of darkness, um, and the regional office, um, which is a group of uh, superpowered female assassins, protect uh, the world from annihilation. And um, sounds pretty realistic. Yeah, well, right, of course, <laughs> but fiction. it's also it's it's fiction. Uh, he is uh, incredibly talented, and this this book so far is spectacular. So I'm really looking forward to finishing it. I look forward every evening to uh, picking it up and, and continuing it. And it's the same publisher, Riverhead, um, as Fates and Furies and Haled Hosseini and Paula Hawkins. So they have uh, The Girl in the Trance, so they have a great great track record. It's some of my uh, favorite books of the last four or five years have come out from these, these editors and this imprint. So the regional office is under attack. And then the other one... Um, that uh, I am uh, about to pick up again. It hasn't been written yet, but I've yeah, been, it's, it's been. I'm actually writing myself. Telepathically, no, the I have telepathically read, communicated I have never, through no, my brain. Is, this one's a, a deep, <laughs> you know, is, is older, but I've never read Sputnik Sweetheart, Murakami, mm-hmm. and I'm about to start that, and I'm awesome. excited. So uh, That sounds I like one you're reading just for... Because it's what you want to read. Gabby's been talking yeah. about uh, Gabrielle Blitcher's been talking about reading Marikami. Yeah, I and I've not read nearly as, as much of of him as I should. Um, pretty much a shoe in at some point to to win the Nobel Prize. Um, as soon as they stop giving it to obscure Eastern European playwrights <laughs> <laughs> and other people who how many could there be yet. left? But yeah, uh, <laughs> I also had never read Mo Yan, but he's Murakami. You know, he's certainly available, and I know a number of people who love him. And I'm getting be- uh, some of the core ones under my belt. Awesome. Um, I I'm, I've been in a little bit of a. It, it, I haven't been reading a ton. I'm working through Stephen Ambrose, Ambrose's Nothing Like It in the World, which is about the building of the Transcontinental Railroad, um, which I, I imagine some listeners may have fallen asleep already in just me describing it, but it is a fascinating story. And Ambrose is uh, a terrific um, author. Uh, I read his book about the Lewis and Clark journey, uh, and it's inspiring, and uh, this is equally so. So I'm... Is it as good? Been enjoying it so far. Yeah, absolutely. It, it really is. And to think that they... Um, I'm a fan a little bit of that time period. Uh, you know, David McCullough's book about the Brooklyn Bridge. They built it in the mid-1800s, which is incredible. What else was going on in the country during the same time? Same thing goes for the Transcontinental Railroad, that they did it. Like, basically, Lincoln, you know, ordered it <laughs> that it be done. And during the Civil War... Uh, which is remarkable that uh, the country at that time could could manage such big things. And uh, so it's a fascinating book. I'm not terribly far into it, but uh, great history. I Abby. have just been on a jag of great books. I'm just loving reading right now. As I mentioned earlier, um, I have been devouring the Elena Ferrante Neapolitan novels. I'm on the fourth one, The Story of the Lost Child, and I am desperately seeking a mercantile member or otherwise to discuss all four books with. Um, I really need to process these stories with someone, so if you're hearing this, um, please contact me, and we will meet at the library and talk about them. 
I'm also uh, getting cracking on War and Peace. We're um, going to read that book as a group here at the library. Our first session is March 8th. I'm really, really thrilled to um, be taking on that book with a whole group of fun people, great readers. I'm also getting ready to read All the Truth is Out by Matt By, which is the next book in the, the Brendan Cole political series here at the Merck. And um, I wanted to give a shout out to this awesome... Um, That's not the official name. Just oh. No, oh, the, the, it's not the Brendan oh, Cole. The Brendan Cole. What, what is it? It's the Sir Brendan Cole. Yeah. Yeah. Good Lord. I thought that there was at least, at least, oh, one, at least one honorary title yes. there. I, I have been watching a lot of Downton Abbey, so I'm Plus prepared Plus that makes it sound that. like I'm dead. You know, the, like the, the Earl? Name it, name hey, it you, for yeah, that. The, Mar yeah. the Marques, the Marques oh, yeah, del Cole. What is the official title of your of your little Is Truth Stranger Than Fiction? Right. It's a political series. With um, nonfiction and fiction books. But, you know, we don't even want to talk about it too much because it is full. It's sold out. And so, <laughs> you know, we're just going to make people want it. The Brendan Book Club <laughs> sold out. You're going to have people, like, in an off. Books an by off Brendan, stop. yes. Can we can have, like, a remote location? Like yeah, a, just a show up at Brendan's house. <laughs> Brendan Acolytes. Can we start the Doug McDermott closing music Is it possible for us to, <laughs> pro to project Brendan at Joseph Oh, my gosh. A hologram. Yes. Oh, I mean, yeah. We'll have him and Tupac, yes. and yes. we'll be talking about, <laughs> we'll talking about political, political fiction Wait, and uh, social commentary <laughs> through verse. Perfect. Can you Great. go on with your other books? Okay, well, the, other thing, <laughs> the other Can thing um, was, is this audio book that my kids and I are listening to in the car, and we are obsessed. We love this, um, it's this called book. Harry it's Potter called the, the, Story, the Story of the World. And it is History for the Classical Child. That's the subtitle. And um, the woman who wrote it is named Susan Weisbauer. And our audiobook is read by Jim Weiss, who writes, reads a lot of um, awesome audiobooks for kids. And my children are seven and nine, and they're, they are just totally digging this. But I am learning so much because, as I mentioned earlier, obviously my historical knowledge has some gaps in it if I didn't know about the Siege of Leningrad. And we're in the ancient times right now. I'm learning all about um, the ancients and ancient India and Babylon and all these just fascinating, fascinating things. And I just highly, highly recommend that for anyone that sounds who. Great. Sounds um, like we should put it in. We want to start here at the library a collection of the 100 best books for children. I would like to work on that. That I think would be. I because we're not a kids' library, yeah. but I think we have a lot That's of people who have kids, and we could say, if they say, I'm looking for something for my, you know, person, child, grandchild, niece, nephew, That's whatever, under the age of 14. Um, we are actively now seeking donors. Cedric is donors for said project. So yeah, uh, well, donors, or we'll buy them. We want to have a couple shelves that are like just like great. It's something that I'm slowly becoming obsessed with. And I think we yeah. need a nook. Absolutely. There will be a spot. There will be a spot. It'll be great. Um, all right. It's three o'clock. Thank you for joining. It. Well, it's whatever time it is. <laughs> or three thirty. At this morning, moment right? in time, as Michael Link's getting more books sent to him by authors with notes that aren't available yet. Thank you for joining us today on the twelfth story. We encourage you to subscribe via your preferred podcast app. We're available on the iTunes store, and on SoundCloud. If you like listening, tell your friends or tweet to us at 
mercantile lib. That's M-E-R-C-A-N-T-I-L-E-L-I-B. Today's podcast was directed and engineered by Chris Messick. Special thanks to our guests, Michael, Abby, and Brendan. The 12th Story is a production of the Mercantile Library in downtown Cincinnati. Our theme music was created by Doug McDermott. Please don't forget to visit us online at www.mercantilelibrary.com where you can learn about our library and our upcoming events. Have a great week, and thanks for listening.